0: Hey, uh, a new third grade teacher was trying to make use of her psychology degree. All of her liberal professors were pushing her and said, you got to make use of your psychology degree. So she started her third grade class by saying, everyone who thinks they're stupid, stand up. So nobody stood up. A couple seconds later, she said again, anybody that thinks they're stupid, please stand up. Now remember, they're third graders. No one stood up. She said it a third time. Finally, little Johnny stood up. She said, Johnny, do you think you're stupid? He said, no, ma'am. I just feel bad that you're standing up there all by yourself. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. Hey, thank you for coming tonight. I believe because you have honored God, because you have made it a priority to be in his house, because you are hungry for his presence That he will pour out his favor and his honor upon you. And your work We could be so much better because you have taken the time to honor God. If you believe that, can we clap our hands one more time for Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight, I want to bring you a a faith-filled message. I want to speak to you how God speaks to us even in our Gethsemanes. How God speaks in our doubts in our Gethsemane moments. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Mark, the ninth chapter, in the 14th through the 23rd verse, and follow along as I read. It will be on the screen for you. It's an amazing story. It really <laughs> uh, deserves far more time than we have to give to it right now. But just follow along as I share with you how Jesus speaks to us in our Gethsemanes. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. Well, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him it throws him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Verse 19, O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible to them who believe. If you can, everything is possible to them who believe. Friends, sometimes as Christians, we think that we are supposed to have a perfect faith. Where we never doubt, we never question why something happened or we never get discouraged. We never wonder why something happened or the way it did. And, and if we waver at all, well, that means there's something wrong with us. And then the little voices in your head start and the little voice will say things like, what kind of Christian are you? You have no faith. Surely God can't do anything with you. You have so many doubts. I heard an altruism story about a man who worked for a bank for 36 years. He was just a few years away from retirement, excuse me, a few months away from retirement when the bank was sold and the new owners, they did away with his job. They restructured his position and they didn't need him anymore. And not only did he lose his job, but he also lost all of his retirement and all of his pension and all of his benefits. He no longer had a pension after 36 years. Now he's in his late 50s. And he's wondering, what in the world am I going to do? He's looking at his wife and he's saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do next? He told his pastor. He said, pastor, I just don't know how God could let this happen to me. Well, his pastor went into a typical pastoral pep talk, how we usually do, and he said, God is in control, and he'll open another position. Well, the man listened with respect. Then he said something that the pastor said, cut the pastor's heart to the core. With tears in his eyes, he said, Pastor, I want to believe. I just wish I didn't have all of these doubts. He said it so apologizingly that he felt so badly for thinking that way that that pastor just stood there and he wept with him. Well, in Mark chapter 9, we read the incident just after Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He comes off an amazing, powerful time on the mountaintop to come face-to-face with a demon-possessed boy and a father that is desperate. I love that Jesus didn't chastise the father for his doubts, He didn't say, well, I'm sorry because you have so many doubts and because you're not totally convinced that I can heal your son, well, I'm not going to do it because you have a lack of faith. No, Jesus had compassion on this boy and his father. He took the time to comfort them, even asking the father, how long have you been dealing with this situation? How long has this been tormenting you and your family, this difficulty, this heartache? Now, when the boy's father says, if you could take pity on us and help us, he doesn't realize who he is speaking to. He's speaking to the same one that said, let there be light, and there was light. And yet, the boy's father, I can hear each and every one of us in his voice because what he says is so human. If you could do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, If I can, all things are possible to them that believe. Now the father says something even more human, and I love that about the Bible. I love that the Bible puts in the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly. The Bible doesn't hold anything back. It tells us the whole story. And the boy's father looks right at him and says, I believe. Now help my unbelief. In other words, I really want to believe, part of my heart believes, but Jesus, this is such a difficult road. I know I'm filled with doubt, but Jesus, can you help me get past my doubt? Can you help me get past my fear? I'm laying it on the line, Lord, I really need you. Basically, he's saying, I want to believe, but my eyes are showing me something else. And what I see is not lining up with my faith. So Lord, can you help me? I really need you to intervene. Look at verse 26. It says, the boy looks so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Maybe you're dealing with a situation tonight that already looks dead. You saw or heard the doctor's report, cancer. That word scares us. Leukemia, blood disorder. And you're thinking, well, uh, it's already dead. Maybe you're looking at a relationship with a child that's in rebellion and now you're thinking, Lord, will they ever come back? L- Lord, I'm, I'm trying. I'm being desperate. I need you to intervene. And everyone around you is saying, why do you still keep praying for that situation? It looks like a corpse. And he's already dead. But verse 27 says, but Jesus took the boy by the hand and he lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Oh, I could preach a whole series of messages on two words. But Jesus. But Jesus. Because I'm sitting here looking at a whole lot of people who many could testify that it looked like I was hopeless, Randy. It looked like my situation was dead. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's family members that you cannot imagine giving their life to Christ. And all you say, all they need is your touch, Jesus. You see, in this encounter, Jesus was letting us know, it's okay to have questions. Let let me take the weight off of you right now. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to wonder why certain things happened the way they did. Listen, God doesn't expect us to be a superhuman saint that never has a doubt, never gets discouraged, and never has a question. No, that's not reality. Remember, God created you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every intricate detail about you, and he knows human nature. Friends, there's an old saying. It says, the presence of faith does not mean the absence of doubt. You might want to write that down in a flyleaf of your Bible or put that into your notes in your phone. The presence of faith does not mean the absence of doubt. You see, in other words, we may have doubts in our minds, in our thought process, but deep down, in the very core of who we are, down where it really matters, we have to know that God has everything under control. And we have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and know God is a good God, even though sometimes bad things happen. He's still a good and loving God. He's a loving Father, that he cares for you that he's not only the God of your life, but he's God over everything and everyone that comes into your life. He's almighty God. And faith is not birth in your mind, your mind is the center of human reasoning and unbelief. No, faith is birth in your heart. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 423, above all else, uh, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of your heart. Another translation would say, guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. Friends, in the life of every Christian, there will be a constant battle between what your mind says and what your heart knows. Hear it again. In the life of every Christian, there will be a battle between what your mind says and what your heart knows. You see, my mind says I'll never find a job. My heart says, God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And you read that in Philippians chapter 4 and 19. My mind says, well, I'll never be healed. My heart says, I know my God is a healer and by his stripes I am healed. Isaiah 53 and 5. My mind says, my child will never be free of alcohol. My heart says, all things are possible to them that believe. See, there will always be a contest between and a battle between what your mind sees in the natural and what your heart knows by faith. And there are many of you right now, you're going through that battle. You're going through the battle of what your mind tells you and what your heart understands and what your heart knows. In 1962... A mother brought her family from Puerto Rico to New York to get them a better life. Her husband abandoned them, and so she came to start all over. And in 1962, she landed in a place called Hell's Kitchen, New York City. In that area of Williamsburg, New York, the gangs were running that area. And her son, Victor, was 12 years old when they got there. By the time he was 14, he was hooked on drugs, he was on alcohol, and he's running with the street gangs. One of those gangs was called the Malmals, and it was led by a young man by the name of Nikki Cruz. And Nikki Cruz ran that street with her son. Her son was named Victor Torres. And the mother didn't speak very good English, but she would go every single night to a little storefront church, and she would pray, Holy Spirit, that I'm not trusting what I see. I'm leaning on what I know. Victor would come in at 3 o'clock in the morning, as high as a kite, And there she was in that little one-bedroom apartment laying on the floor, praying and believing, standing on God's word. And he'd come in high on drugs, and she'd go to him and say, Victor, God is going to save you. God's going to deliver you. He's going to get you off of drugs. And he's going to put the healing touch of God in your hands. And he'd say, oh, my, you're crazy. You're just a crazy fanatic. You're nuts. And he'd go lay down in a corner on a little pallet that she had made for him. And she would go to church and pray and pray and pray and believe. Well, she got a telephone call from the local high school that she was to come and talk to the principal of the school. And when she arrived in the principal's office, all of the teachers were there that were her son's teachers. The principal looked at her and said, your son is no longer welcome here. We are all deathly afraid of him. We don't believe that he is going to graduate. No, we believe he's on his way to the electric chair. He's not allowed. That little mother who couldn't speak very good English, she stood and she shook all their hands and thanked them for trying to help her son. And as she walked out, she saw all the other kids and she saw the situation and she started saying out loud in Spanish, I will not allow what I see to affect What I know. I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. I know my God is a healer. I know my God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know my God made me a promise that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know my God is going to rise up. I want you to say with me at the count of three I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. Are you ready? One. Two, three, I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. Oh, come on, say it again. I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. What she didn't know was as she is praying, all of hell was, being, was fighting and all of heaven was bringing the answer. And at the same time she is praying, the Lord was speaking to a pastor to leave the Midwest and to come to New York City and be a street preacher. His name David Wilkerson. And David Wilkerson came and he's preaching on the streets of New York. And as it happened, (laughs) Victor Torres came around the corner one day and bumps right into David Wilkerson. Brother Wilkerson looked at him and said, Victor, if you were the only man left on planet earth, Jesus would have come and he would have died on the cross and rose again on the third day just for you. And there's someone here that you need to hear me say that to you. If you were the only person left on planet earth, Jesus still would have come. He would have died on the cross and he would have rose again just for you. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus said that he would leave the ninety and nine and go search for the one. And the Holy Spirit is searching for you. Well, that day, Victor gave his life to Christ. He knelt in the gutters of New York City. And when David Wilkerson laid his hands on him, Victor says, I felt a huge weight come off of my shoulders. And he was delivered from alcohol and drug addiction. The Holy Spirit intervened and got him out of the gangs. He got him away from the courts. Victor Torres now is leading one of the greatest churches in America on the east coast of America. He and his wife, Carmen, they travel all around the country and they work with Teen Challenge, which is the ministry that David Wilkerson started in the 1960s to drug addicts and alcoholics and prostitutes. And when Victor Torres goes to the hell's kitchens of today's world, he lays hands upon people and the power of God honors the prayers of his mother as the Holy Spirit flows through his hands. His mother said, I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. Because there's a constant battle between your mind and what your mind tells you and what your heart knows. And as I walked in the building tonight, I said, Holy Spirit, would you heal somebody? Would you set somebody free? Would you heal a marriage? Holy Spirit, would you move in our lives? May I decrease that they yet Christ may increase. Because friends, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those that love him. This morning, as I was getting ready to leave, a woman came to me. I don't know if she's here tonight, but she said, you know, Brother Randy, I got to come and talk to you because Pastor Josh told me to come and tell you that as I was in the altar and they were praying for me, she said, for years, I've had pain in my body so bad deep down in my bones that my bones hurt and the doctors, they couldn't tell me why. And tonight, as I was this morning as I was praying, she said, I felt the power of God come upon me and the pain is gone. And she literally started to dance a little bit. Tear was rolling down her face. Listen, we still serve a Holy Spirit that heals. We serve a God that delivers. And we serve a God that sets people free. If you believe that, I want you to clap your hands and praise him. Oh, come on, praise him. He's a healing God. I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the man of old gained approval. And verse 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I love that word diligence. It speaks of the hunger, the desire, the drive to which we are to run after God on a daily basis. And at the same time, he sees your heart. He sees you striving after him. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And yes, it is true that he is moved by our faith. But I also believe that sometimes it is our doubts that will draw him close to us. In Matthew eleven two 2 and 3, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he is baptizing there in the Jordan. He looks up and he sees his cousin. Remember when, when uh, Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth when they are both pregnant, John jumped in his mother's womb. He was the forerunner. And here he is now. He's baptizing in the Jordan River. He looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Then he hears the voice from heaven, behold, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And he sees the dove descend on Jesus. But now, in Matthew eleven two 2 and 3, John is in prison. Life has thrown him a curve. Do you know what it is to have life throw you a curve? That you're just going along, and then all of a sudden, life takes a sudden turn. And even those of us that have amazing faith, we find ourselves in a situation like in 2020. America was cruising along. Everything was going great. We had the best economy the world had ever seen. Things were just trucking along. And then all of a sudden, a curve came out of Asia, came out of China. And now, our faith was under attack. And everyone was looking at the storm, and we took our eyes off of Jesus. John, he tells his disciples, hey, come here. Come here. I'm in prison. Do me a favor. Would you go find Jesus and ask him, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Remember, he's the one that declared him the Lamb of God. He's the one that saw the dove descending. He's the one that heard the great voice. But he's now in a vulnerable position. And he's being honest with God. And Jesus wasn't the least disappointed with him. He understood John was going through, and he understood he's going through a Gethsemane moment. Hard times in life, stretcher times, when life throws you a curve. Gethsemane moments. And he doesn't tell them, go back and tell John, oh you of little faith. He doesn't chastise him. No, no, he tells him, he said, You go tell John. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. In other words, I am the fulfillment of the promise. You go and tell him that what you have seen with your eyes and encourage him in the Lord. Friends, when you have doubts and questions, fears and struggles, and life throws you a curve, you need to be honest with the Holy Spirit. Faith doesn't exempt you from life. Oh, hear it again. Faith does not exempt you from this life. And we're currently living in a day and age where there is such great fear and doubt and worry. And the church, they're just so worried that everyone wants to talk about end-time prophecy. Listen, if I had a dollar for every time someone called me and said, are we living in the last days? Or have you read this book? Have you read that book? I'll even have them call me and they'll say, well, this one prophet said that they're going to tear down the Statue of Liberty. I said, come on now. Come on now. You're getting off in the weeds now, folks. Well, did you read John Hagee's book on the blood moons? And according to John Hagee, that we are already supposed to be in heaven. But here we are. Are we in the last days? Well, I believe, yes, we are in your last days and mine. And I believe he's coming again. Did you know that for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus was still trying to get his disciples to get the picture? 40 days after the resurrection, he appears to them, and all they want to talk about is end-time prophecy. Lord, when is it that you're going to establish your kingdom? Because you said, Lord, that we would rule and reign with you. They still didn't get it, even after the resurrection. And really, in a nutshell, Jesus looks right at them and says, you are so concerned about when I'm going to set up the kingdom, you should be more concerned about who is in the kingdom than when I'm going to set up the kingdom. And I'll tell you the same thing. Let's not be concerned about when he comes, but let's be more concerned with who's going to be in the kingdom and how he finds us when he does come. (laughs) Well, I know, that doesn't make me a popular preacher. Because everyone wants to hear all that stuff. But friends, listen, it's really the crux of the matter. Jesus said, it is not for you to know. But he said, preach the gospel. Share with the lost. Be vulnerable and honest. Because faith doesn't exempt you from life. Faith doesn't make you not feel things. No, quite the honest. Quite the opposite. When you're honest with God about your doubts, your shortcomings, and your fears, that's not a weakness. Friend, that's a strength. And the first step to overcoming a fear or a weakness is to get it out in the open. And when you humble yourself and and ask God for help, he will give you strength to overcome what you couldn't overcome yourself. You see, AA will tell the alcoholic and the drug addict, well, you need to have a higher power. But they don't tell them who the higher power is. And they don't tell them, they say you need 12 steps. And I thank God for what AA has done for many. But you don't need 12 steps, you need the one step to the cross at Calvary. And the higher power is not a man. The higher power is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the one that has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And if you will come to him and be honest and say, Lord, I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. If you're vulnerable with him, oh, my friend, that's when he comes to you. When you humble yourself and ask God for help, that is when you begin to pray, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to hold my weakness. I I don't have to worry about my doubts and my fears and my shortcomings. Because you already know it. Isn't it kind of funny that we try to hide our weaknesses from a God that already knows? He already knows what you're dealing with. He already knows what you're going through. In John 20, it tells us what happened after Jesus rose from the grave. Again, 40 days after the resurrection, he's meeting with the, uh, with the, with the apostles and disciples Let me paraphrase John 20. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, I love that. They're literally trembling in fear. He comes through the door and he goes, Peace be with you. That's the first thing he tells them. Peace out. Relax. Don't worry. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with then he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And there was great excitement among the disciples except for one. His name was Didymus. We know him as Thomas. He's one of the 12 and he's not excited because he wasn't in the room. He wasn't there. And the disciples told him, Thomas, we saw Jesus. He was here. Isn't that awesome? And he looked right at them and said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in his side, I will not believe. And so many people think, well, this man, what a lack of faith. No, no, no. He wanted the real thing. I believe Thomas loves the Lord and he wants the real thing. And he's saying, in essence, what the boy's father said, I believe, now help my unbelief. Because what my eyes saw at Calvary, I saw him put him in the ground. I saw them beat him. I saw him carry that cross. I saw him lift up his head and cry out to God. I saw the bloody mess that was my master. And I saw them lay him in the tomb. So listen, I want the real thing. And if you're anything like me, when it comes to miracles, when it comes to signs and wonders, when it comes to the gospel, I want the real thing. I don't need hype. I don't need emotionalism. Though at times I get emotional. But I don't need to go to the extreme. My wife is feminine, but she's not a feminist. We don't go to the extreme. I am human. But I'm not a humanist. I don't go to the extreme. I want the real thing. By an upraised hand, how many say, Pastor, I want the real thing? Because it's the real thing that keeps you. It's the real thing that multiplies in you. It's the real thing that will take you through this world and deliver you to heaven. And Thomas was thinking, hold on, guys. I love Jesus. I'm a believer. I've spent just as much time with Jesus as you have. I know he promised that he would come back to life. And yes, I even know that the women said they saw him at the garden tomb. And now you're saying that you saw him here. And and my eyes are telling me something else. And deep down, I believe Thomas really wanted to believe, but his mind was filled with doubt. So he says, unless I see the nails... And unless I touch his side, I will not believe. Verse 26 tells us, a week later, one week later. Isn't that just like God? He let him stew for a solid week. And I believe in that week, Thomas was praying. Lord, I want to believe. I really do, Lord. Well, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were still locked, they're still in fear. Listen, the doors are still locked and they have already seen Jesus, the ones that were there. That's so human. I love it. And while the doors were locked, Jesus comes through the door and he says, peace be with you. Trying to get you to understand. Trying to get you. I'm here. Now this is an amazing story. And if you're not careful, you will miss God's MO, his mode of operation. Because what happens next, I find so interesting that the Lord didn't walk over to Peter, James, or John, his three closest associates in the discipleship. He didn't go over and say, Peter, how's it going, man? I missed you, bro. Good to see you again. Hey, good to see you there, James and John. Oh, man, you guys are awesome. No, on this occasion, we see him bypassing all the ones with great faith. And he walks straight over to Didymus, to Thomas. Walks right up to him. And he says, Thomas, (laughs) I heard that you have some doubt. Which again is mind-blowing because he wasn't there when he said it. But remember, he's God Almighty. And just like the man who lost his job and his pension... Just like the boy's father in Mark 9, I believe that very moment Thomas is thinking as he's coming towards him, is that really him? This is an impossibility. I know what I saw. There are people that will come to the altar and will pray with them and they get set free and others will go, did they really get healed? Did, did that woman that came to pastor this morning, did she really lose that pain? Oh, I'm here to tell you. If you would've seen looked in her eyes like I did, you would know she lost that pain. I have witnessed. I believe it. And he's walking right towards Thomas and yet, Thomas is probably thinking, I, I really want to believe, Lord. I want to believe. Is that you, Lord? Jesus makes a special appearance. That blows my mind. He makes a special appearance just for one man that doubted. For the one. And I believe it could have happened something like this. Thomas, I heard you said about what you said about me, and I've heard you have some questions, and I know you have some doubts. And I want you to know, Thomas, it's quite okay. I love you, I care for you. So I made a special trip just for you. And the Holy Spirit is no respecter of persons. And that same Holy Spirit is right now here. And he's saying to the ones with doubts, I I heard what you said. And and I know what you're wrestling with. And so I came to church on the rock just for you. I'm going to move in this service just for you. Just for the one with the doubt. Verse 27, he says, so Thomas... Put your finger right here. And see my hands. And and reach out your hand and put it into my side. And while Thomas is doing that, Jesus follows up by saying, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. But listen to verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. He's thinking about you and he's thinking about me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he said yes to go to Calvary, he looked through the eons of time and he said that amazing prayer, for the ones who have not come yet. Remember, he's all man, yet he's all God. He looks through the eons of time. He sees the month of October, 2022, on a Sunday night. He knew you would be sitting here. And he said, Lord, for those at Church on the Rock who still have not seen me, but yet they believe, I will go to the cross. That should make you want to shout. In this encounter, Jesus was assuring the church, I'll always be there for you. Even in the most challenging and difficult moments when you're struggling with your faith, when you're looking for answers, when the economy is topsy-turvy, when you don't know what's going to happen politically, when the public schools are going crazy, and they're allowing the students to run the show, even then, if you'll turn to me, I'll be there for you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I am faithful, God, and I will do whatever I have promised, and I love you more than you could possibly imagine. And some might be thinking, no, no, Pastor, He's mad at me. If you only knew what I have done in my life, God is mad at me. No, He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And if you believe that, I want you to clap your hands really now and thank Him that He is God Almighty. He loves you. He loves you. Well, how do you know? Because Hebrews 4.15 4, 4, says us, God is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. That means when you hurt, God hurts. When you're disappointed, God feels your pain. When you're discouraged, God knows what it's like. He's been there. You say, well, what do you mean God's been there? How does God know what I'm feeling? Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even Jesus, the sinless, flawless son of God, a man who never sinned, had a Gethsemane moment on the cross. Even Jesus had a doubt. A man with perfect faith. He even got so discouraged and so despondent, filled with such pain that he questioned his father. And God in heaven didn't say, come on, Jesus, you know better. You know the plan, how it's supposed to work out. You you know you're going to rise again. You need to quit thinking like that. No, God knew that he was having a human moment. God knew that he had feelings, that he had emotions. In the same way, it's okay to feel disappointed It's okay to say, God, I I feel like you've forsaken me. I don't know where you are. You see, God is more pleased when we're open and honest when we come before him, even with our doubts and our questions. Things that we don't understand. I truly believe that he'll respond quicker to the one that's honest with him. Listen, when Jesus was on his way to be crucified, they made him carry his own cross. And as he's carrying the cross, he's carrying the weight of it. He'd been so beaten down and so mistreated that he actually fell down under the weight of the cross that he was carrying. He couldn't carry the cross the whole way. And if you're anything like me, (laughs) you begin to wonder, God, why didn't you supernaturally strengthen him so that he could finish the journey? Lord, I... Why didn't you infuse him with a supernatural strength, give him a second win so he didn't fall, so he didn't fail under the weight, so he didn't look so defeated? The Holy Spirit whispered, Randy, even in this horrible situation, I was sending a message. You listen very carefully. God was saying there will come a time in your life on this side of heaven that you will stumble and fall under the weight of all that you are carrying. and You don't have to be strong 100% of the time. It's okay to say, God, I can't take it anymore. And sometimes the cross we are carrying can get very heavy. And that's when we say, I can't raise this child by myself, Lord. I can't stay on this job. I, I, it's too much. I, I can't deal with the legal situation. Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm crying out to you because the weight of this cross, my medical is, is going crazy. My body is hurting. And that's when the accusing voices will come and try to convince you because you have so much doubt that you're, you're not really a Christian. They'll try to tell you. Look at you. That God's not going to use you. You're weak. You're on the ground. You're letting life get the best of you. Friend, the book of Revelation, the 12th chapter, the 9th through the 10th verse tells us those voices come from hell. That Satan is the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren day and night. And I believe with everything in me when Jesus, he couldn't carry the cross and he stumbled there and the cross was too heavy. Satan was right there saying, ha, ha, I got you. I got you. But please understand, God will never leave you under the weight of your cross. No, remember when Jesus fell under the weight of his cross, God didn't leave him there. He immediately sends somebody to him, a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. And Simon came at the most critical moment when he's carrying that cross and he picked that cross up. You see, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go look up Simon of Cyrene. And I want to throw my arms around him and say, thank you, bro, for carrying the cross for my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for Simon of Cyrene. And I want you to listen very carefully. When you're down, when you have doubts, when you are discouraged, God will always send somebody to help pick that cross up for you. That is why you need to be in a small group. That is why you need to be surrounded by people with a biblical worldview. That is why you need to be a part of a church and be here every time the doors are open. That when you stumble under the weight of the cross that you are carrying, somebody will come alongside of you and say, you can make it. You can make it. Come on, we're going to pray for you. We're going to believe in the power of God together. We're going to believe that the power of God will set you free. Oh, if you believe that, come on, clap your hands and praise him. Hallelujah. Somebody to encourage you. Somebody to tell you you're going to make it. You're not alone. And if nobody does it, maybe it's my voice tonight letting you know it's okay to fall under the weight of all your caring. Just say, Holy Spirit, I can't make it. And the Holy Spirit will come and he'll lift that up. It's okay to be disappointed. Just realize that that disappointment is not the end. It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. It's in those times that you encourage yourself in the Lord. My grandmother taught me how to encourage myself in the Lord. She would tell me, mijo, we're going to church. And I'd say, abuela, you don't drive. And she'd say, we'll go take the bus. And we'd take the bus from Long Beach, California to Los Angeles, California to go see a woman by the name of Catherine Kuhlman. And the whole way there, she's saying, just wait till you get there, you're going to feel it. And I'd say, feel what? She said, just wait till you get there, you're going to feel it. And she'd get on the bus. And she would start singing and worshiping. She was so beat down. We didn't have much money. My grandfather was home and he was laying in the bed dying of emphysema. And the hospice had come, and grandma said, This is where we're gonna encourage ourselves in the Lord me we'd get on the bus and she would just start very softly, Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name, Master. Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain and the presence of God. Now that she had everyone's attention and they're staring at the crazy lady with the little Puerto Rican kid next to her, she started singing, there's room at the cross for you. And she would get tuned up. The Holy Ghost would hit her. It was never the Holy Spirit with my grandmother. It was always the Holy Ghost. And she used to have a bun, you know, and the Holy Ghost would hit her. She'd go, (laughs) woo, Whoo. And that little bun would fall down. It looked like a slinky on the side of her head. (laughs) And I'm watching. And she'd say, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, as far as I was concerned, we had the preaching, the praise and worship. We had the altar call because she would always lead someone to Christ. All we needed was the offering to pay for the bus ride. I was Gucci. I was ready. And we'd get off the bus. Now there's several people following behind. And we'd walk into that auditorium, into the presence of Almighty God. And she'd get down on my level and say, baby, do you feel it? What is it? And she'd say, that's the presence of the risen Savior. And then she'd look right at me and she'd say, mijo. Your salvation is not based on feeling. Your salvation is based on grace. But isn't it good to feel the presence of the Savior? And that Savior wants you to know when you are real with God and you're honest enough to even express your doubts, those doubts will not drive God away. I believe you will do the opposite. You will draw him closer to you. Listen to this eternal truth. God is just not with us in our times of faith. He's also with us in our times of doubt. He's not a fair-weathered God, there for us when we are perfect and everything is going so good. He doesn't just speak to us when we are on the mountaintop dancing and celebrating. And No, God says, I will speak to you just as much when you are alone and discouraged. I will talk to you when you are upset and you feel like I have let you down. I will show up not just because of your great faith, but because of my mercy and my grace. Because I love you. It's in those times, it's in those times that I have experienced the outpouring of the love of the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, I was in a parking lot of the airport in Springfield, Missouri when my cell phone rang and I said, hello, and it was a young lady. She said, Pastor, where are you? And I said, well, I just got home, and I'm getting ready to drive home. And she looked at me. She she didn't look at me. She looked at the phone. I looked at the phone, and she said, it was one of those uh, calls where you could see each other on the phone. And she said, I need you right now. I said, well, where are you? She said, I'm at Mercy Hospital. The babies come early. And I said, well, if the baby's come now, it's come very early. Technology is an amazing thing. I'll be right there. I called my wife and I said, baby, I I, I have to get to the hospital. I told her the situation, and when I hung up, I said, Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation, and sensitive counsel. And driving over there, I said, Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation, and sensitive counsel. And absolutely nothing was coming. H- have you ever been in that situation where you knew you were going to be confronted by someone going through a Gethsemane moment. And you ask God for comfort, exhortation, and a sensitive counsel. And heaven is silent. I got on the elevator. Mercy Hospital went up to the neonatal unit. The door is open. And there she is. She's standing there with an IV bottle rack in one hand. And the other hand is holding her little gown, and she's a half pint. She's not even a full pint. She's a tiny little thing, and she's going through a Gethsemane, and she looked right at me, and she said, it's not fair, and I said, I know. She goes, no, no, you don't understand. It's not fair. She said, Brandy, we are up to our eyeballs in debt My husband at the seminary and me at Bible college, she said, why us? My daddy's a preacher. My granddaddy's a preacher. And she started listing to me all the reasons why it shouldn't have been them. And she said, God's abandoned us. God's walked away. And she said, I am angry with God. And I looked at her and said, it's okay to be angry. She goes, well, I am. Do you know it's okay to be angry as long as you sin not? At what point does it become sin? The moment your heart gets bitter. I said, where's your husband? Well, he's in the room. And I'm saying, Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation, and nothing. We walk into the room, and this young man who's a communicator par ex, I mean, the guy is an amazing teacher and preacher, he's at seminary, he's got his hands in that incubator, and there's a tiny little body in there with an Ivy in its head and his foot, and as I got closer, I could see the tears that he was shedding, it was pooling on that acrylic and that plexiglass. I said, Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation. They're in a Gethsemane, a hard time in life, a stretcher time, and the Holy Spirit whispered, have them welcome me into their human experience. And the preacher in me said, that, that's it? It's that easy? It's that easy. I looked at them and I said, Jesus wants you to welcome him into this situation. She said, I can't. He pulled his hands out of the incubator. He said, yes, we can. And he lifted his hands and it came out like a tiny squeak at first. But that word, that name that is above every name, he started saying Jesus. He he didn't pray a long, eloquent prayer. He didn't get into a hermeneutical, homiletical discourse. He didn't go from the Aramaic to the Greek, though he probably could. All he said was, Jesus, I need you. And the presence of God filled that neonatal room and my knees buckled. That's what's about to happen in this room tonight. The moment that you welcome me into your human experience, it's in those times of doubt God will speak to restore your faith. That child is completely perfect and healed. She's in her terrible twos, and she's terrible. But I love her. And I had to do some counseling with the parents that just because she's a miracle doesn't mean you don't swatter. her. But friends, for some people, the doubt tonight is a mile high. They've had things happen they don't understand. Life is not fair. And maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home, a faith-believing environment, but Romans 12.3 says, God has put a measure of faith on the inside of every person. I want just the pianists to come, all the musicians, very quickly, very quickly. And hear it again. The Bible says that God has put a measure of faith on the inside of every person. That means people who don't give God the time of day, people that don't believe, they're cynical, they look like they're full of doubt and worry and fear, they've got a measure of faith inside of them. That is why you don't give up on anyone. You don't give up on anyone. But do you realize on the inside, deep down in their heart, the creator of the universe has placed a mustard seed of faith? In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of every person. I call it the God-shaped hole. And they're trying to fill it with drugs or alcohol, with fame and fortune. They're trying to fill it with money. And nothing is satisfying And you might know someone like that, or you might be someone like that, that you've tried to fill that God shaped hole with everything. That is why it's so important to never write anybody off. That person at the office that's sarcastic, they make fun of you going to church. Maybe it's a family member, they give you a hard time for staying on the moral high road. John and I were talking about it when he picked me up at the airport, we were talking in the car. And I looked over at him and I said, you know, some people will look at us and they'll say, can't you just have one drink? Why do you gotta be so so strict? Can't you just can't you just give in? And we may think, surely God won't have anything to do with them. Or that family member that's lost in addiction or caught up in the party life, and maybe they have been so critical with you. No, glue your eyes right here. I believe the Holy Spirit is the most sensitive seeker of every person. He'll go after every single person, causing things in their life that may at any moment activate that mustard seed of faith inside of them. And that is why I also believe that if you are a praying person, if you're like that boy's father that says, I believe, now help my unbelief. If you keep walking with the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice, then he will lead you and guide you to have you at the perfect spot at the right time when that faith is activated, that you might bring them to Jesus. Maybe you walk into a grocery store and the Holy Spirit says that one over there, right there by the bananas. I've been working on them for years and I've set up a divine encounter, and if you'll listen and walk over, I'll take over. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of healing, to be there at the perfect time, to be used by God in those moments that their faith is activated. And in just a moment, we're gonna call you to this altar and we're gonna pray for healing. Tonight may be the night that the Holy Spirit answers your prayer. It wasn't ready six weeks ago. Your healing, it wasn't ready six months ago. But now everything is lined up and it's perfect and God wants to move now. And you're going to come and say, Father, I believe. Now help my unbelief. I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. There's a pastor by the name of Jensen Franklin. He pastors Free Chapel in Atlanta, Georgia. He tells the following story. He says when his daughter was very very young, he and his wife, Cherise, they planned a trip to SeaWorld in Florida. They had planned on leaving on Monday and spend the day in the park on Tuesday. But Cherise had been fasting and praying for about 30 days. And she came to him and she said, Frank, she said, Jensen, I... I really believe we need to leave on Sunday after church and we have to be in the park on Monday. He said, oh, Cherise, I've already got the airline tickets, the hotel, I've already made the purchase tickets for Tuesday. I don't know if it can work out. I can't change anything. And she was so insistent, it felt so strong that they left on Sunday and were in the park on Monday instead of Tuesday. He said it was a beautiful day and they were sitting in an outdoor arena waiting for the dolphin show to begin. When out of nowhere, there in Florida, a large storm began to come. It was a huge thunderclap and lightning, and it became a huge downpour. They all ran for cover. The entire crowd, the large crowd, ran for cover. And they announced, please find shelter under the stairs under the bleachers. And while they're under the bleachers, there was another loud clap of thunder, and Jensen and Cherise's three-year-old daughter got very scared, and instead of turning and running to her parents, she ran over to a 25-year-old young lady that was standing there with her parents. She's a complete stranger. and Their daughter ran over and threw her arms around this girl and began to hold tight. Well, Jensen and Cherise looked at each other, and they were completely blown away, and they went to try to pull their daughter off of this lady's legs, and and the young lady was standing there, and she began to weep, and they started pulling their daughter, and finally, the little girl wouldn't let go, and so the young lady said, no, no, please don't take her away. She said, I had a three-year-old daughter about her same age that was born with congestive heart failure. And six weeks ago, my little girl died, and I haven't been out of the house since. And my parents finally convinced me to come out of the house and come today. And this is the first day that I've been out of the house in six weeks. She said, when your little daughter was hugging me, the whole time I could feel healing in my body. And it felt like someone was pouring hot oil or water over the top of my head. And God was letting me know, she said, that my little girl was in heaven with him and it was okay to move ahead with life. That was God speaking to her, not in her faith, but in her doubt, in her Gethsemane. And do you know what what Jensen's three-year-old daughter was? She was actually a Simon that God had sent to carry that girl's cross to healing. And I'm looking at a church right now that God is calling you to be a Simon of Cyrene to a lost and hurting world. In your community, he wants you to carry others cross to get them to where they need to go, to believe for healing, to believe for deliverance, to believe for salvation, to believe for sanctification, to believe for justification that they might come to know Christ. And I believe there's a spirit of intercession that's about to be birthed in this church like we've never seen before, an intercession for the lost. And God knows we're going to go through some things that we don't understand. And in our mind, we say, God, where are you? How can you let this happen? But in our hearts, God says, no, no, no. Don't you understand? You've got a seat of faith. And as you begin to pray for it, as you begin to birth it, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to begin to move and grow in your life. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. The God we serve is in this room. Friends, right now, I want you to forget the person to the left and to the right and just lift your hands and say, Lord, we believe. Now help our unbelief. Lord, don't let us see the mountain. Let us see the God of the mountain. Father, right now, I want you to begin to pray for all of the unsaved loved ones in your family. Call them by name. In fact, would you stand right now in the presence of God? Just stand all over this room and lift your hands and begin to pray for the unsaved family in your family right now. Just begin to call them by name, in the name of Jesus. Lord, you have placed this church on this highway You've given us all of this land that Father we might not that we might not just sit here, but that we would fill this house with hurting and the lost. Oh, so come on, somebody praise him right now. No, no, don't clap, don't clap, just lift your hands and praise him. You may be listening to me right now, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you know catechism. Maybe you know the rigors of religion. Maybe you know the rosary, but you don't know Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. He's still the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's still the Prince of Peace and the Hope of Glory. He's still the soon and coming King. And the Holy Spirit is in this room, and every time somebody's healed, the Holy Spirit is saying, isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't Jesus marvelous? And you're here, and you want to give your life to Christ. If that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to ask the people around you to say, if you want to go give your life to Christ, I'll go with you so you don't have to go alone. Church, pray. Church, pray. There is a battle right now. Church, pray. There's always a battle between what your mind sees and your heart knows. Come on, church, pray. At the count of three, would you turn to that person next to you and say, if you want to go forward, give your life to Christ, or rededicate your life to Christ, I'll go with you so you don't have to go alone. The count of three, you do that. One, two, three, right now, just turn to them. Just turn to them. You say, well, I know them. Well, maybe they're backslidden. Backslidden is if at any other time in your Christian walk, you were closer to God than you are right now, you're backslid. And if they said, yes, I want you to take them by the hand right now and just bring them. Just bring them. Say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. Just bring them. Now those same people that are around you, I'm gonna ask you to turn them against. Okay, then. Do you want to go pray for a miracle? Do you want to believe God to save your family? Do you want to believe God that intercessory prayer will be birthed? Maybe they're going through a Gethsemane. Oh, it's so you know in church it's amazing. They can be going through one of the deepest parts of their life and never tell anybody. How you doing, bro? Oh, I'm doing great. Praise God. But on the inside, there's great turmoil. So again, I'm going to count to three. And every person that's longing for a spirit of intercession, that's longing for more of Jesus, that says, Lord, use me in a Gethsemane. Lord, speak to me clearly in my doubt and in my fear. If that's you, I'm going to ask you as well to step out in faith at the count of three and just come to this altar and kneel on this around this altar and say, Lord, I'm gonna pray for my loved ones. I'm gonna pray that you just send an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't wanna give up on anyone. Father, forgive me for giving up on uncle so-and-so. Forgive me for, for giving up on the people on the job. Lord, forgive me, Lord, that, that there's a God-shaped hole in every person. And Lord, I wanna be right there when they give their life to Christ. I wanna be used of God. If that's you at the count of three, then you turn to them as well and say, come on, you're already saved. Let's go pray for miracles. Let's go pray for healing. Let's go pray for deliverance. Let's let the river flow tonight. They're coming already. One, don't miss them. I want the altar workers to come as well. All of the altar workers to come right now, right now, right now. And I want you to spread out across the altar. And God's about to birth intercession. There's healings about to happen all over this room. They're coming already. At the count of three, you come. One. Don't miss them. Two. Three. Come right now. Right now. Maybe you need healing for a tumor, a blood disorder. You need healing, come right now. You want to stand in the gap for someone, come right now. And let's fill this altar altar workers right now just begin to move just begin to pray with people maybe you need God to restore your family whatever the situation is you say Lord I'm not going to allow what I see to affect what I know and I want you right now just to begin to cry out to him in Jesus name Holy Spirit have your way